It's 12 o'clock. This is Toronto Today. Mike Gilgan in for Gareth Wheeler today on TSN 1050. Scott MacArthur is in this very chair between 1 and 4 this afternoon uh, with the Scotty Mac Show, the baseball hour, 3 till 4 uh, here on TSN 1050. Uh, this is hour number 2 of Toronto Today, and uh, it's brought to you by Lease Busters. It is so easy to get out of your car lease at Canada's number one lease takeover marketplace, Lease Busters. Avoid penalties and early termination. Go to leasebusters.com. Coming up a little bit later on, Gregor Chisholm will join us from uh, MLB Network. He covers the Toronto Blue Jays, so we'll get his thoughts on uh, Bob Nightingale's comments and uh, get his thoughts basically on uh, what may be done before the deadline. Buyers, sellers, they don't know yet. And his thoughts on what happened last night at Fenway. Also joining us a little bit later on on the show will be Clark Judge from the Talk of Fame Network. Uh, we'll get into the Ezekiel Elliott stuff. Um, maybe get into Kirk or Kurt Cousins. <laughs> they had the newser yesterday and mispronounced his name. Oops. Whatever his name is. I don't know why Washington isn't more in love with this guy. All he does is go out and play really good and really well. Uh, plays really good football, and uh, there just seems to be no respect there for him for whatever reason. Uh, so we can get into that with Clark Judge a little bit later on. Uh, but there is uh, also one story. This this discussion comes out of an appearance yesterday um, on Fox. Speak for Yourself is the name of the program. Jason Whitlock was hosting it, and his guest was Michael Vick. I can guarantee you when you when I just said the name Michael Vick, you had a reaction. It was probably negative, for obvious reasons. I mean, the guy was in a dogfighting ring. It's what he did. He got busted for it. He did hard time for it. He wasn't at Club Fed. He was at Leavenworth. Like, they really threw the book at him. It cost him millions of dollars. And when he got out, there were a couple of things he had to do. One, he had to... Become a National League football player again. So he had to refine his skills. You can be in prison shape, but that ain't NFL shape. So he had to get back into game shape, which he did. But he, what was probably tougher for him than that was rehabilitating his image. Let's face it. When Michael Vick got out, if you are a dog lover... Which I think is most people. There are people, some people that don't like dogs. I love dogs. I'm a dog guy. Vic gets out and he has to prove to the world, especially those in the population who are dog lovers, that he is worthy of their respect. And for many, never came back. Screw it. You did that? I don't want anything to do with you again. But what Michael Vick was partially able to do with a lot of people was rehab his image. And he worked hard to do that. Um, There are a lot, you know, uh, what I found Michael Vick, what he did was reprehensible to me. I don't understand that culture at all. I don't want to understand that culture at all. I just don't. It was sickening. But when he got out, and I don't know how much of this was orchestrated or how much of this was a guy who actually started to get it a little bit, Michael Vick worked his rear end off for the people that he f- that that felt that he did the most damage. Um, the SPCA, B 
became a very big part of his life, the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And he went around and he, do- he went on his own nickel across the country and he was giving speeches and talking about the errors of his way. Um, something that he had never done before was actually have a dog as a pet as opposed to looking at it as, you know, this thing in dog fights where you can bet on a dog and that's, that's all they do. So with he, with he and his family, they adopted a dog. For many, not enough. You gave up 20 million bucks. You spent two years of your life in prison. Not enough. No second chance for you. Although it seems he's done everything possible to rehabilitate, rehabilitate himself. Which uh, is not what prison is for. A, you do the punitive time, and you're also supposed to rehabilitate yourself, see the errors of your way. It seems like Vic has done that. Now, he's a guy that knows about cleaning up your image and working hard to rehabilitate that image. He was asked about another guy who certainly didn't do anything as heinous as Michael Vick did, but he's another guy with an image problem to a large extent of the population. There are some people who love him, who think that he's the best thing since sliced bread, that maybe don't think he can play very much, but man, do I love his social conscience. And we're talking, of course, about Colin Kaepernick. There are people who think that Colin Kaepernick is a brave man for doing what he did. There are people that think that this is good for Colin Kaepernick to use his platform to talk about what really, really, really has affected him as a person. There are other people who say, Kaepernick, he can't play. Shut your damn mouth. Don't use the NFL as your own speaking platform. Just shut up and play. And for those people, Kaepernick will not be able to rehabilitate his image no matter what he does. He ain't a good American. He doesn't stand up for the anthem. Can do no wrong. But in this conversation between Vic and Jason Whitlock, obviously the topic of rehabilitation of his image came up, and Michael Vic had an interesting answer. First thing we got to get Colin to do is cut his hair. You know, I mean, listen, I'm not up here to try to be politically correct, but, you know, even if he puts cornrows in it, I I don't think he should represent himself, you know, in that way in terms of, you know, just the hairstyle. Just go clean cut. You know, why not? You know, you're already dealing with a lot, a lot of controversy surrounding this issue. You know, just try to be presentable. And Michael Vick, in some circles, got ripped for that. And he, he, he tried to walk it back uh, this morning on Twitter, saying Colin Kaepernick's hair has nothing to do with him not being on an NFL roster right now. Let's be clear. I wish only the best for Colin. I stand by what I've said about him being signed at some point this season to help an NFL club. I think he's a great kid who has a bright future, and I'm looking forward to seeing him on the field again. Trust and believe what I said was not in malice. He was asked, pretty simple question, what do you do to try and rehab the image? And what did he say? Well, get rid of the afro. Now, that's, if you like afros, man, that's an impressive afro. Kaepernick has, that's a major league afro. But Vic is just saying, if you want to rehabilitate yourself, 
that was one of the things that he said you should try and do. Clean up the image. Now, in some corners, it's a great image. In some corners, it's not a great image. So no matter what he does, as far as the fro goes, some people are going to be upset. Oh, you're selling out. You're cutting your hair. Are you kidding? Or, well, okay, it's a start. Vic went on to say yesterday, the gesture he made last year when he took the stand to do what he did, listen, we all appreciated it, we all respected it, and it was a good thing. I really think the stand that he took has nothing to do with him not having a job playing in the National Football League right now. And being frank, Colin didn't have the best two years in his last two seasons. So, so Vic has, this is, it's an interesting guy to talk to this about because he's played the position. Michael Vick at times was a dynamic quarterback who basically changed the way the position was played. Quarterbacks didn't have 4-2 speed. Quarterbacks didn't run like that. Like, there was only one Randall Cunningham. There were guys who scrambled like Tarkenton, but Cunningham ran. But Cunningham looked like, you know, a shot putter trying to run a sprint compared to Michael Vick. He made some runs that were just insanely stupid. Just so damn entertaining. Absolutely changed the way that the position could be played. And let's face it, when Kaepernick was at his best with the 49ers, when he took them to a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl that they would have, could have, should have won, the way that they got there was a little bit unique. It was a different skill set. It was that it was that ride fake, the read option, whichever way you want to phrase it. Where Kaepernick was just a little bit different than the other guys in the in the NFL. There there was there was him. RG three was doing it. There weren't many though. And defensive coordinators are going to catch up to something that's run like that. Remember when the Wildcat was first employed in the NFL? Everybody went, oh, how do you stop that? give defensive coordinators three weeks, they'll come up with something, and they did. And you never see the Wildcat anymore. You just don't. And now we saw the success of RG3 and of Kaepernick, and the best weapon they had was the read option. And just because of the way that defensive ends have been coached up, and specifically linebackers have been coached up because of the success of those two quarterbacks specifically, Kaepernick has been less effective than he was five years ago, however long it was when the uh, when the 49ers got to the Super Bowl. Obviously, cutting the hair is not going to have anything to do with his play on the field. Unless it helps his confidence. And we've seen that before. Some guys will get added confidence for the weirdest reasons. And if for Colin Kaepernick, having your hair long means something... Keep the damn hair. If you have more confidence doing that, keep the damn hair. I think the most important thing Colin Kaepernick has to do um, is be the best football player that he can be. And if doing what he does makes him a better football player, if he just, if if he wasn't doing what he was doing socially and it ate at him and it made him uncomfortable in his own skin, where, to the point where he just didn't want to go out and do things and he couldn't be natural. Well, then grow your hair and keep speaking up and keep taking the knee. 
Now, there are some teams that might not want anything to do with you, but if Kaepernick can get back to close to where he was, then teams are going to want him. If he played like he did the last couple of years, I don't care if he, if he has a huge afro or if he's bald, nobody's going to touch him because he hasn't been very good. And let's face it, what he does off the field can be perceived as a distraction. I don't, honestly, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if a guy goes out and expresses his beliefs that way. I don't care if a, if a guy says, um, you know, I thank Jesus Christ 4,000 times in an interview. I don't care. If that makes him feel good as a person, good for you. If that's expressing yourself, good for you. Everybody's wired a little bit differently. Kaepernick's a different guy than most, and good for him. I mean, wouldn't life be just freaking boring if everybody was the same? I hope Kaepernick regains his form, comes back and plays exceptionally at a high level, whether he's got the afro or not. And I find it just interesting that people are jumping all over Vic for being asked his opinion on something, and somebody who's gone through it, and he gave his honest opinion, People are ripping them for it. Strange world in which we live. Uh, we'll get some more football talking at the bottom of the hour. And uh, Clark Judge will join us from the Talk of Fame Network. Uh, I don't think we'll go there as far as Kaepernick. If, if I do, it'll be more from a football perspective. And if there is a job potentially for Colin Kaepernick in the offing, uh, it's not a direction I want to go. With Clark Judge, but who knows? Uh, when Clark and I get going, sometimes the uh, the discussion goes in areas that I have no idea that the discussion is going there. Uh, but Clark is just a, a fountain of information, and I look forward to that visit at uh, twelve thirty. First up, though, uh, Gregor Chisholm is going to join us from MLB.com, and the Blue Jays were winners last night. And uh, the bigger question, of course, is about what may happen with the lineup and we did put out as a twitter question today uh, as a fan what would you like to see the blue jays do in terms of the rebuild and what style of offense would you like to see the team play would you like to see them play some small ball that is sort of the uh, the mo of the offense or would you like to see them sit back and keep swinging for the fences and uh what do we have here let me just refresh this it's almost 300 votes now uh right now we have a 70-30 split, where it's not only the chicks that dig the long ball, if you go back to the commercial of the uh, Atlanta Braves' glory days. Um, it is uh, the majority of, of listeners and Twitter followers. 70% say, give us some power hitting, and only 30% say, play some small ball. Would love to have you vote on this if you haven't already. Uh, on Twitter, at TSN1050Radio. Um, may as well follow the radio station. Doesn't cost you anything. Uh, likewise, my account is at TSN Mike Hogan. Uh, would love it if you uh, if you want to uh, follow me and, and get into some conversations. I am always uh, up for some good, healthy debate or just some uh, discussion about uh, whatever it is that uh, that is 
tickling your fancy as a uh, as a sports fan. So that's what's coming up, and uh, just waiting for Gregor Chisholm to join us from Boston, where last night game one of the series between the Red Sox and the Jays uh, took place, and it was a nice outing for Stroman. Looked like it was going to get away. It looked like that this was going to be one of those typical Jays nights where the defense let them down and they let one get away. But uh, while they blew the three nothing lead. Red Sox came back and tied it. Um, they were able to uh, come out with the victory after a couple of uh, key hits late. So they get game one out of four, and uh, it is but one of 162. Uh, but it's a nice way to start a series against a team that you're chasing. And I would assume that for the most part, unless you're really uh, a fan of the Blue Jays and really hate the Boston Red Sox, that uh, you're looking at this gap and you're saying there's, uh, you know, I think realistically eight games is too much. But uh, you may be one that says, hey, if they've got a run and the Red Sox uh, uh, fall apart, which I don't think will happen, but I'm sure there are some of you out there that think it may, um, still a hell of a long way to go. I don't think you're looking at the Red Sox. You're looking at the teams uh, who are battling for a wild card spot at this stage. But we'll see what happens. Uh, while we wait for um, for Gregor to uh, rebound, should we get some more Olney stuff in? Uh, Buster Olney was on. We talked, uh, for the most part, about the trades earlier on. But uh, Buster Olney was, uh, was talking about the strike zone as well. And that's been, uh, that's been a, a, a point of contention. Um, I think a lot of uh, umpires aren't happy with the, with the pitch tracker or pitch tracks which put the um, put the location of the ball electronically on the television screen. Um, but uh, th- there's always been talk about the electronic strike zone. And Buster Olney from ESPN was on the morning show today and talked about that gadget and whether or not it would work in MLB. There's a lot more conversation within baseball about the electronic strike zone to the point where you can, uh, in conversation, executives... Players, even umpires, have had conversation with. Basically, they know at some point an electronic strike zone is going to happen. It's inevitable. Uh, I had uh, I co-hosted. Uh, I filled in on a radio show last week. Uh, co-hosted it, and uh, Rob Manfred, the baseball commissioner, came on with us, and he said it's years away. I kind of wonder if it's going to be, you know, more than two or three years away before we start to hear about it seriously. Interesting. I know there are those that are are technophobes that don't want to see anything like that, that don't like instant replay, that don't like any of the the ways that maybe they're trying to improve the sport from that aspect. Electronic strike zones? I don't mind the human element, but there are some nights where it just gets frustrating where you'll see a pitch you know, four or five inches outside, and it's called a strike. And if you happen to be cheering for the team or you have bet a couple of bucks on the team that that goes against, I can understand the frustration. So that will be something to watch for in the up-and-coming years. Uh, Trying to connect with Gregor Chisholm. Apparently there's some problems at the hotel uh, as far as the, uh, the folks at the lobby being able to connect a phone. We'll get to Gregor when we come back. You're listening to Toronto Today. I'm Mike Hogan in for Wheels. This is TSN 1050. Twenty-five minutes after twelve o'clock. 
I admit, I cannot hear this song without thinking about Weird Al Yankovic. I, I can't do it with the bedrock anthem. Yabba dabba, yabba dabba, dabba do now. I, I, I just, it's there. I can't shake it. Oh. Uh, this is Toronto Today. Hogan with you. This is uh, TSN 1050. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Clark Judge talking uh, National Football League with us. Uh, some of the, the stories, obviously, we will deal with uh, include Ezekiel Elliott. Mm, we got to get there at some point. Um, first up, though, before we talk to Clark at the bottom of the hour, I don't know if there's been a general manager for any of the teams in Toronto that I have more of an affinity for from than Masai Ujiri. He's been a magician with some of the contracts that he's been able to move. He has assembled the best basketball team um, that uh, this market has seen in terms of the NBA. But as much as I like about what he's been able to do with the franchise, it's still the off-the-court stuff that probably impresses me even more. And we see the fundraiser uh, the major fundraiser that he has here in Toronto every year for Giants of Africa. It has become a major part of what drives him. And he's at it again, and they've just um, uh, put out a news release, and this is kind of an update about what they do, that Giants of Africa will be back at it again uh, on the continent uh, talking uh, basketball and holding camps. And they're doing so in Rwanda, Uganda, Kenya, Nigeria, the Ivory Coast, and Senegal. So this is what they do. This is the quote from Masai Ujiri. Sport can change the world. Africa must rise, and the way we get there is together. One of Giants of Africa's fundamental mottos is dream big. We believe that basketball can be used as a tool to educate and develop youth around the world to accomplish their dreams. In addition to training coaches in each country and building infrastructure, we strive to serve as role models for these kids to learn from and be motivated by hard work. Uh, We feel a deep sense of responsibility to help them develop as athletes and be good citizens within their community. Hallelujah. Um, The man puts his money where his mouth is. Uh, He has been nothing but uh, a gift to this city, and he's so easy to cheer for. Uh, Not not only... uh, Sorry? Was that Joe? Oh, he's going to be on Overdrive today. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Uh, That's fantastic. But uh, I assume that he will be talking about this. Um, And they've updated what they've been able to do and, you know, try to get kids. And a lot of, you know, you you think of some of the, the, the... violence that has occurred, some of the war that has occurred in some of these countries. Um, For some of these kids, just think about what a refuge basketball is. Whenever your country is at times described as war-torn, that's not a good thing. And for this Basketball Without Borders programs uh, as well, uh, which the NBA is behind, um, they have been giving kids opportunities and what is what is mentioned and and it's this is sort of burying the lead i think to a degree in the news release um since the giants of africa camps began more than 100 camp attendees have moved on to high school or university in the united states and about 20 are now playing professionally in europe how cool is that 
That's outstanding. So Masai Ujiri uh, coming up on Overdrive today. And, uh, sorry, one more time. Joe? At 5.30. Okay, thank you. See, he keeps buzzing in my ear when I'm in mid-sentence. So I couldn't hear what Joe was saying. Uh, but at 5.30 today, Masai Ujiri will uh, drop by, and I'm sure he'll talk about this program. I would hope he would talk a lot about this program and as well talk about uh, the Raptors and the offseason uh, acquisitions and some of the guys that got away. C.J. Miles, the news conference is today, so I'm sure he will be talking about that. Switch gears once again. We talked a little football, more of the social aspect off the top of the hour, but joining us now, uh, writer and host of the Talk of Fame Network. You can find him on Twitter, at Clark Judge T-O-F, for Talk of Fame, obviously. Mr. Clark Judge, how are you doing, sir? Long time no speak. Hey. Hey, Mike. Yeah, it's been a long time. You're getting an early jump into the football season, huh? Uh, getting close. Getting close. Um, one of the things that I do want to talk to you about, though, is uh, um, doing a top ten list is a lot of fun. It can mm-hmm. be a lot of work trying to do it. But, right. man, it's a no-win situation because no matter what you do, somebody's going to chirp back. I did that jokingly on Twitter when you put out your top ten rush ends of all time and put Lawrence Taylor over Reggie White. And as an Eagles fan, I can't allow that. Uh, but, but how much fun do you have doing that? Well, it's, it is fun. I, I get more people involved doing it as one person. You really are um, subject to criticism simply because there may be some likes or dislikes you have that others don't share sure. and maybe a lot of others. But here when you get three others, and I say three others, two of them are Hall of Fame writers, yeah. uh, Ron Borges and, and Rick Goslin, and they cover the league as long as I have or longer. Uh, the three of us are Hall of Fame voters. And the other one's John Turney from Pro Football Journal, who knows mm-hmm. as much about the history of the game as anyone, and he studies a lot of films. So I felt pretty comfortable with that. And, and I get their votes, tabulate them on a, a weighted basis, and then put it out that way. I feel comfortable about how it's done. Uh, you're never going to satisfy everyone. I understand that, and that's part of the beauty of it. Yeah. That people love to uh, criticize, and, and that's part of part of the list, and, and that's what makes them so attractive. But there's some I feel more um, maybe stronger about than others. I mean, the quarterbacks list, which we're going to come out with, uh, I think early next week because Kurt Warner's going in. Yeah. I feel pretty strongly about that one. I think I could do that on my own, but um, but it's nice to have the the, the, the weighted. Uh, value of, of uh, others who are who are certainly in the know and have been doing this game for thirty to forty years, uh, maybe even longer. But that that's what I like. Um, it's it's a, it is fun. But you're right. Uh, the downside and really the upside is getting the feedback because sure. some people like what you do. But the fact that they like or dislike it doesn't mean anything. I like to hear what people have to say. If they don't like it, that's fine. I mean, I, I know people who think Reggie White should be number one guy. I understand that, and I know you were kidding, but at <laughs> the same time, um, you know, I, I, you just look at this, you go, boy, Reggie Reggie White didn't get the votes, but barely, he barely missed out for a reason. And, and you know, you could ask the three others a reason, and, and uh, they would tell you the same thing I did off the edge. I thought that Lawrence Taylor was the best off the edge, and he was really sort of uncontrollable. The, the interesting thing to me is when, I, and we've all done these lists is trying to compare era to era and you mentioned you're going to be yeah. doing quarterbacks how do you compare Otto Graham to Johnny Unitas to Joe Montana to Tom Brady very difficult but but, but to me what I do is I, I look at winning and winning to me supersedes everything it's funny we were talking to Aaron Rodgers not that long ago about what do you pay the most attention what's the most important quality and he said touchdowns and I, you know I would have said how about winning I mean yeah. uh, I was listening to Al Leiter the other day on the on the Yankees game he said people talk about these saber metrics you know and everything about pitch speed and and uh, exit velo and all that stuff and he said all that matters is winning and that's the way I look at it all that matters is winning I like to see guys who win lots of games 
big games. I like to see guys who win big games. And I remember Ernie Corsi once saying to me, you measure great quarterbacks in the last two minutes of every half, especially in a close game. I think he's probably right about that. Uh, I never saw anyone better than United. Never. And I, say, I saw United. I never saw anyone better. Otto Graham, I did. And I remember talking to my dad and saying, who was the greatest quarterback you ever saw? And he said, Otto Graham. So you start paying attention to what he did, start looking up uh, his record. Ten straight championship yeah, games, yeah. seven victory. I mean, seven championships out of ten straight appearances. Pretty hard to beat that. Um, I don't care what era you play. In that in that era, he was the best of the best. Unitas to me was the best of his era. Then you know you look at Brady, the best of his era. I, I try to take the best of those eras, um, but it's very difficult. It gets more difficult, Mike, with wide receivers. I mean, the wide receivers oh. numbers are off the charts now. How do you measure those? Jerry Rice and Don like, Hudson. How do you compare them? Yeah, and but you know, someone today will look at, let's say the the, the stats of a Lin Swan. Well, why is this guy in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Drew Pearson's not in the Hall of Fame. He shouldn't be because look at those numbers. Wait a minute, he made big catches. You know, when the game was in uh, on the line, who was the guy you feared the most? It was a Drew Pearson. That's why he made the All Decade team, first team All Decade. He's not in the Hall of Fame. I don't get that. But now it's sheer numbers, and we're getting overwhelmed with these hundred you know catch seasons. They're they're not all that unusual anymore, and and at one time they were extraordinary. They were they didn't even exist. So the, that's the more difficult one. But um, with quarterbacks, in, in answer to your first question, I, I like the the, the you know the uh, productivity. I like the championships and also the superlatives. I mean, a guy like take Norm Van Brock and we throws for whatever it was five hundred and fifty four yards or something in a game in 1950. Are you kidding me? I mean, it'd be like throwing for nine hundred yards in a game today. Um, and no one's beaten that. How is I, and so that I, I look at that, but it must have been extraordinary, you know. Yeah. Or so he's playing against the air, but um, that—that's that's how you do it. Anything to me that generates interest, and 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 for those who aren't, you know, sort of historians of the sport like we pretend to be, or you certainly are. Um, you know, I, I I think that's great that you may might be able to you know get some younger people to go back and look at the people that we watched when we were growing up, or the people that came before us. That's the idea, Mike. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's not to say, listen, you know, older's better. That's not the case at sure. all. What Tom Brady's doing now is extraordinary. I mean, look at Tom Brady. I go, I, I don't know that any of these guys could do this in a salary cap era. I mean, he's changing partners every year, and yet he still keeps winning. Uh, and he's playing until he's 40, at least. And he looks like he could go till he's 45, which he said he plans to. But um, I, I appreciate you saying that, because that's the idea, to sort of shed some light on some of these guys who've been honestly forgotten. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned a guy like Drew Pearson. You know, first team all decade wide receiver. He and Harold Carmichael um, were all decade wide receivers from the 1970s. They're not neither ones in the Hall of Fame. And, and Drew Pearson's the only first team all decade wide receiver from the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s. He's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How is that possible? And yet, people today and people on that board have forgotten him. And that to me is a shame. And if you look at the list, Mike, of guys who are all decade who are not in the Hall of Fame, it would astound you. And oh. you'd wonder. How did this happen? You know, but it has happened. My my list is one person, and it's Jerry Kramer, and it's, yeah, it's just my, kind of everybody. That's after a good that. list to start with. That's yeah. a good list to start with. You I know, still, when you're on the the only guard on the, uh, I guess it was the 50th anniversary team or uh, whatever it was, he was the only guard. He's voted on by the Pro Football Hall of Fame, so they put him on that list, and yet he's not in Ken. <laughs> Someone's going to have to explain that one to me. Yeah. I don't get it. And and last year, I really thought he was going in as a senior candidate. To me. It's way too long. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'm not on the senior committee. I'm on the contributor committee, so I, I'm not part of that discussion. But if I were in that room, I'd say the first thing we have to do, and honestly, in my mind, to correct a wrong, uh, and I do think it's a wrong, is to put Jerry Kramer in there. Because if we value him that much to put him on that team, 
how would can we keep him out of Canton? See, I'm like you. I'm a big music fan as well, and I will ask for pictures with musicians. I never ask for a picture with an athlete. Jerry Kramer was an exception. I I, I met him finally at a, at a Super Bowl and said, "Would you mind mm-hmm. posing for a picture?" I I just I, I put him in such esteem, and he has been so screwed over. And it's not just for what he did on the the field, which should speak for itself, but what what he has done for alumni members and trying to get right. those who have been uh, hard done by financially, trying to get them their fair share, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, and I wish I had an explanation for you, Mike. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, uh, I wasn't on that board when his name first came up. I'm certainly on that board now, but I'm not on the, the senior subcommittee, which brings out, they're going to bring out two guys this year. You had hope that he's one of the two, but I know what the list was last year and how the voting went down. And I'll be honest with you, I'd be surprised if you were. And, and I, don't, I don't have an explanation for you because I've talked to people on that committee who are in the room with me like, and Jerry Kramer, how can you possibly yeah. not put him in? Should we take him off of that 50th anniversary? Should we just take him off of that? Yeah. Because this is an embarrassment. And it's the same thing. It's the argument I use with Ray Guy. You know, he's on the 75th anniversary team as a punter. We don't have him in the Hall of Fame. Why? And then people say, because he's a punter. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to do better than that because if you're not going to put him in, and that came up last year, because it came up with Morton Anderson, and one of the voters yeah. said, you know, why don't we just take kickers and punters off the list, because that's the way this group looks at them. They don't think they belong, and it's a disgrace. And it was a very powerful argument, and I think it did help to get Morton Anderson, who is deserving. Yes. I mean, first team, two all-decades teams, 80s and 90s, first team, the best for 20 years to get him in, and I just think he was the best in the position he should have been. Keep banging years. that Kramer uh, drum. That's, uh, that's I fantastic. I, um, I will, and, and you're right, Mike. I, I, I couldn't disagree with uh, the, the Hall board of members more on this, and I couldn't agree with you more on it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, you mentioned him a little bit earlier on, going into his 13th season, although I guess mm-hmm. 10th, really, because of the way that he started his career. Right. 34, how long can he go? Because we're in an era now where we're seeing more guys get to the George Blanda status uh, than yeah. ever before, playing into their mid and late 30s. Yeah, I think you can get to Brady's level at 40. I mean, I think you can play until yeah. 40. And once you get to 40, it's tough. I mean, very difficult to maintain excellence after that time, mostly because most guys don't reach, reach that age. But yeah. what we've done now, I think, is um, most quarterbacks down. What we've done now is that uh, we protected the quarterback in such a way. They're not taking the beating as they once did, like the Unitas did, the Stars did, the Bradshaws. They're not taking that beating. Uh, and they're taking better care of themselves, as Brady always talks about. Uh, they are taking better care of themselves. And, and look at Aaron Rodgers, and I know he's got a history of injuries, oh. albeit some minor, some not so minor, but um, Brady's been pretty clean with the exception of 2008. He's been pretty clean. Um, so I, I think Rodgers is a position, if he wants to, um, to continue until he's 39 or 40. As I said, very few quarterbacks excel at that age. Brett Favre did. I mean, at 40, he had a great year with Minnesota. Then he fell off the table the next year, and then yeah. he was gone. So um, it's very difficult for me to think uh, that Brady can go till he's 45. I know he defies all expectations and everything we believe in, in, um, in quarterbacks, but um, no one really does that. You're right, George blended it as a part-time quarterback, yeah. part-time kicker, yeah. more full-time kicker. But, but yeah, I think Rodgers could go till he's, he's 39, 40. Uh, he's certainly a terrific quarterback at the top of his game, uh, and you don't see him you know, regressing, at least at this stage. Other a uh, sort of other end of the age spectrum would be Ezekiel Elliott just coming into the league right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's right. frustrating to watch a talent like this try to self destruct to a degree. Is this a is this a, a kid who needs some help, or is this just a guy yeah. who finds himself in in some bad situations uh, unwittingly? Well, I, I don't know Ezekiel Elliott. Never met him. Have been around him. 
But um, I think you answered your own question there when you asked the question either or. The fact that he's in those situations, he needs some help. He shouldn't yep. be in those situations. He should be able to avoid those. He needs a life coach. I mean, I would think Dallas, somebody uh, would put a life coach around him and say, listen, here's the deal. And rather than going out to that bar, why don't we just stay at home, uh, ask a friend over and dial up Netflix. I mean, I know it's not as fun, but you, you need to grow up some here, and you're getting yourself in trouble, and you're jeopardizing your career, and you're damaging the reputation of this football team. And uh, you may be costing yourself some money because I do think he's facing a suspension here, and for good reason. I mean, people say he hasn't been arrested. Well, Backman Jones wasn't either, and yet there was a litany of incidents where the, the commissioner and the league just said, enough's enough. I mean, you're putting yourself in all these positions. And remember, Pac-Man Jones was in Dallas, too, and they thought they could protect him. They didn't. Um, so at, at some point, I think someone says, you need to sit down. That'll probably happen very soon. And that incident, honestly, that I, I thought, I mean, the, the incident in um, at, at uh, St. Patrick's Day play, I thought that was really disturbing. Yeah. You know, the fact he thought that was okay, I thought that was really disturbing. But to me, it was a, a symptom of a greater problem. This guy doesn't, uh, from my vantage point, um, doesn't respect women. And, and that really bothers me. And I think the league's made it very clear we're going to try to send that message out. Well, if you, do, if you are... And if you are serious about that, here's your first test case. Or it's not exactly your first one, but here is a test case. We've got about a minute here. Uh, same division, Kirk Cousins, or Kurt Cousins, as he was called yesterday. Um, why don't the Redskins warm up to this guy a little bit more? It seems like they're always doing just enough to keep him around and not make him happy at the same time. Yeah, I think they did. I mean, if he didn't... Um, he didn't um, criticize or, or uh, contradict that report that Bruce Allen put out yesterday, which is $53 million guarantee, and I think something like $70 million, including the injury guarantee. That's pretty rich. That's a pretty rich contract, and they said they want to make him uh, a redskin for life. I think they did what they should have done. The fact that he balked at it tells me that um, he's not really sure what he wants to do year to year. He likes to go year to year, and the fact is They've, they've changed numbers of people on him, including uh, his offensive coordinator and uh, his receiver. So this is a guy who says, I'm, de- I'm dealing from a position of strength here. I'm going to wait and see how this thing turns out. If this team capsizes this year, maybe I want to go elsewhere next year. Now, of course, they could franchise him again. But um, I think the Redskins did do the right thing, to be honest with you, from a, from a distance. And he didn't you know, acknowledge the, the uh, proposal and didn't respond. So uh, I think this was a little bit more on him. I'm not trying to criticize him. I know what he wants. Um, so we got what he wanted. He's going to get $23.5 million um, for not signing uh, a long-term deal. That's not bad. Uh, interesting, as always, sir. Uh, if you're a uh, historian or just are, are curious about the history of the NFL and some of the players that went before the current crew, uh, no better spot to follow than uh, the Talk of Fame Network. You can follow Clark at uh, Clark Judge TOF. Always an enjoyable conversation, sir. Thank you so much for doing this. We'll speak sooner than uh, we have in the past. I hope I hope so. Always anyway. a pleasure, Mike. Thanks, Always Clark. A pleasure. Be well. Thank you. Uh, that's Clark Judge uh, again from the Talk of Fame Network. They deal with uh, the NFL Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and and who should be in and who shouldn't be, and then just sort of give you the general NFL scoop as well. When we come back, uh, we have connected with Gregor Chisholm. He will join us next, uh, talking some Blue Jays on TSN 1050. Twelve forty-seven. It's Toronto today. Hogan in four wheeler. We have made connection with our next guest and our baseball insider. Brought to you by Oakland Ford Lincoln, your premier source for auto service and sales in the GTA. Ah, the old "do not disturb" on the telephone, Gregor Chisholm. I've fallen for that often. 
That is very bizarre. I have no idea what happened there. I was sitting there waiting for the phone to ring, <laughs> waiting and waiting, and, and then nothing happened. And then, uh, yeah, that's, it's, I, I will blame my hotel for this one. I'll just blame Boston for everything. <laughs> they win, the, All their sports teams win all the time, so now it's easy to, to, to blame them for everything. Is, is Fenway your favorite ballpark? It is. I'm a, I'm a little bit biased because it's also the one I used to come at uh, when I was a kid yeah. coming down from New Brunswick. It was a shorter drive for me, and there's just so much history in this city and in this ballpark. And it's a lot different than when I came here as, as a kid because the, the fan base was, had a lot more angst than it, than it does these days and, uh, uh, <laughs> after all the championships they've won. But. And now in that uh, media box, you've got a hell of a seat. Very high up. You got to watch out for some of the bars blocking your view. You got to you got to move your head around in order to see the pitch and then the contact. But hey, it's all part of the charm of the building. Exactly. Unless you pay for an obstructed seat, that is completely different. Um, was was the first game? It was entertaining, but is it is it being overshadowed for the next little while because of all of the distraction with the trade talk? I think so. I mean. Everything that's kind of happening on the field right now is kind of taking a, a back seat to what's happening off the field, and understandably so. And when you have a, a big game from a guy like Steve Pierce last night, you kind of uh, immediately wonder not what's going to happen with the standings, but what's going to happen with players and where they're going to go. And, and Steve Pierce is a guy who's been moved before. You kind of wonder if he might be one of those guys who gets moved again. But certainly anytime anyone has a good performance over the next next week or so, you're going to be talking about trade value and what you can get in return. And it doesn't seem like the Jays are going to shake things up too much at the trade deadline, uh, but those rumors are going to persist. There's no question about it, and especially when uh, the team is as far back as they are right now. Uh, I mean, the results really are secondary to, to what's going on with the future of this organization. Is there anything that you've heard in connection with the Jays that you give any credibility to? Not, not too much. I think you know what's been stated out there. The Jays are going to obviously shop the guys who are their pending free agents. Uh, I don't think they're going to do a whole heck of a lot beyond that, uh, which is a little bit surprising compared to where we were about a month ago. We thought that if this, this season was going to go uh, south, that it would become a bit more of a fire sale. But uh, you know, the front office does seem pretty uh, con- intent on, on trying to rebuild for next year, and if you're going to do that. Uh, you can't sell off many many of your pieces. So uh, I don't think it's going to be that eventful compared to what we originally thought. Uh, but it, it's going it's still going to be interesting to see exactly which direction this team does go. It's, it's funny because I think everybody in this market is looking uh, at sort of the blow it up or at least uh, unload some of the potential free agents. Uh, Bob Nightingale was on. And I, I love talking to you guys because you all have different sources and you're all hearing different things. But Bo- I asked Bob sort of, you know, half-jokingly if he had heard about the Jays maybe add, going out and adding something. And he brought up Dee yep. Gordon's name, uh, that, that yep. the Jays have been in connection with that. Are you hearing that name or are you hearing others that may, might be brought in as the Jays try to make a push for maybe making a playoff spot? Yeah, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the approach that Anthopolis uh, was trying to take in, in 2011 and 2012 where uh, the Jays weren't, you know, the traditional buyers uh, by any means at all, uh, but they were looking for guys with extra years of control. I mean, that's how they uh, acquired Jay Hat back in 2012. Uh, they weren't really making a push for the postseason, but they were looking to add for future years. And I, I think, you know, Atkins and Shapiro are, are trying to take a, a similar approach this year. So it's not entirely unheard of. Uh, and, and even if they were to go out and add someone like a D Gordon, it doesn't really mean that they're going all in for this year by any means at all, but it's, it's them trying to retool for, for 2018. And that's kind of a similar reason why uh, they're not selling off uh, guys with years of multiple control. I think they are looking to add there. They certainly won't be adding any rentals. We do know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a guy like D Gordon or someone who does come with an extra year of control uh, beyond this season uh, is someone that they could definitely be looking at. 
Gregor Chisholm joining us from MLB.com. He's in Boston for game number two in the series tonight. Um, a lot of discussion uh, in our producer's office before we went to air about Stroman last night and whether or not he should have been given the hook uh, before he was. Um, were, you, were you okay with uh, Gibbons leaving him in? Last night I, I was uh, simply because that that bullpen has been really, even though it was only one series after the All-Star break, you'd like to think everybody's nice and rested. Uh, this bullpen has pitched pretty much more than anybody else in baseball, and that was a rough series uh, in Detroit with a bunch of short outings. They, they were really limited last night, too. They were trying to get... Uh, they were trying to avoid using Dominic Leone in that high leverage spot. I ended up needing to bring him in to try and get one out after leaving Stroman in. But they were, they really were kind of hard pressed last night. They had to pair for one inning in the eighth and, and then to go to Osuna. Uh, so I, I wasn't overly surprised they tried to squeeze one extra out of Stroman last night. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think if everyone was was up to par, uh, you probably would have seen Danny Barnes a little bit earlier. Uh, and, and coming into the game last night instead of a guy like Leone. Uh, but I, I think Gibbons is, is trying to make do with what he has down there right now. And the fact is they haven't been getting enough innings from their starters. The bullpen's felt the wrath of that. Uh, and you saw Gibbons try, try to stretch his guy a little bit longer than, than he might normally last night. I, I was in the same ballpark, and usually I'm a guy who's very much in favor of watching pitch counts and uh, you know third time through or you hit that 80 or 90 pitch plateau depending on the pitcher and, and, and things seem to blow up for everybody. doesn't matter how good you are. Uh, but last night I was I, I agree 100%. Just you might need your bullpen the rest of the series and I I just I I would rather go down, you know, with uh, with my six shooter out of my holster and and, and go with uh, Stroman and if you're going to go down, go down big. Yeah, I, you know, I think the Boston media was a lot more surprised than the Toronto media. You know, yeah. when they saw uh, Stroman allowed to face bets for for a fourth time, you know, a lot of them were commenting that's that's something you don't normally see, and and I totally understand with that. Uh, but at the same time, and you know, we saw Dominic Leone come in uh, to face Dustin Pedroia and uh, first first pitch fastball right down the middle of the plate, and, and Pedroia did some damage on it, and and that kind of was the perfect example as to why Gibbons tried to tried to get one more out and, and tried to get Stroman through that seventh before turning it over to Tapera. Uh, it didn't really work out, uh, although the Blue Jays did catch a really nice break, a uh, lucky break on the fact that the, the relay uh, throw home to, to get that yeah. worked out so well uh, in their favor. Uh, final question before we go, and I've got to, I've got to end, obviously, with the trade rumors. Um, if, if you were to take a nice shiny loony and bet it on one player not being with the Blue Jays after the first deadline has come and gone, which player would you bet it on? Because uh, I don't think it's going to be that eventful. I, I, I'm going to go with, with it's not going to be a, a big, sexy name by any means. I think when Joe Smith comes back, I think he'll get okay. an outing or two under his belt. And I, and I think he's the kind of guy that uh, that will be moved. And before, I would have said a guy like Estrada or Lariano, yeah. but they simply have just pinched themselves out of the equation when it comes to that. So uh, I, I don't think you're going to see any major uh, subtractions, but I do think a guy like Joe Smith could, could be one of the ones who's on the move. You, just, you tweaked my interest. Um, why did Estrada throw so many breaking balls on Sunday? Because people are are really kind of all over that changeup lately, and I, I think he really needs to kind of take a little bit of a different approach. I think he needs to establish the fastball more. But exactly. uh, you know, I, I think that he was trying to give them another look with the off speed, uh, trying to get them off that changeup. To me, I think he needs to work off the fastball more. But they they tried to uh, use the breaking ball more as a result to get them off that changeup, and uh, it kind of worked, but didn't fully work. I mean, his defense really let him down in that outing. But uh, even so, he still wasn't. 
Shannon Sharp as, as the guy that uh, we were accustomed to seeing for two and a half years here in Toronto. Boy, am I, if, I'm, if I'm a major league hitter, I'm just sitting on the change. I'm just, that, that's all I'm doing with him. I know it's not an easy thing to do, even if you know it's coming, but uh, yeah. uh, man, it's just uh, just a little bit to the well too often in my for my liking. Um, sorry we didn't connect earlier. Sorry if there was any kind of communication uh, breakdown at all. I don't think there was, uh, but thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Gregor Chisholm joining us from MLB.com. He is the beat reporter for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's back down at uh, at Fenway Park tonight for game number two in the series. They will be talking... Oh, yeah, by the way. Uh, the Baseball Insider brought to you by the Oakland Ford Lincoln Quick Lane, conveniently located at 570 Trafalgar Road in Oakville. Uh, Scotty Mack is uh, back in the one chair between 1 and 4 this afternoon. They'll have the baseball hour for you between... The hours of 3 and 4, all baseball for the entire hour. Uh, so that's coming up, so uh, stick around for that. My thanks to Joan Arsa, our producer today. Squiz Nasty, our technical poobah. Thank you, as always, Michael Skrizniak, and to you for listening. Uh, I'll be back with you tomorrow between the hours of 11 and 1. My name is Mike Hogan. Thanks for listening. Scotty Mack next on TSN 1050.